Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law your Mo Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not be depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given to you to possess. And the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God has given you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the lands that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers, as he has said to you. And they also will take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as I commanded Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your word, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Last week we started a new series of Joshua um, that we are going to be studying a little bit differently this year. It's we're, I've broken it up into three different sections, roughly six sermons a section. And in between each section, uh, there'll be a break because of maybe a season of the church year and the church calendar like Advent or Easter, that, that type of the year. Um, or we're going to do, uh, as I mentioned last week, the book of Colossians in the month of, of, of March, April, May. Uh, but we will finish up going through the overwhelming majority. We'll skip a few chapters that get a little repetitive as this, you know, they killed this tribe, that tribe, whatever. But by and large, we're going to cover the vast majority of the book and we'll be done at the end of next summer. We're doing this specifically because, um, and we're camping in Joshua because of, I think, some of the parallels that, that we see. Like Israel as a church, we're moving uh, toward a, a long-held dream, right? New facilities. There's going to be a new day. It's going to be a new experience, new opportunities, uh, new obstacles and challenge. But the biggest thing is this, this opportunity to be involved in God's kingdom and do things that we, I think, have not been able to do before. And so we're just at a new, new phase of life for our church even though we're 40-something years old, as you see right now, we're like a, a new church planning, and we're having to move back and forth, and uh, that's why we need your help, because it's, you know, it's just not, you know, it's kind of a transition right now, and it's all hands on deck, but much as what we see in the book of Joshua. Well, last week, as we began to dig into this book, we saw that victorious faith is always grounded in God who faithfully fulfills his plans and promises. And we saw this last week in the man that God chose to succeed Moses. We saw it in his 
command and in his promises. Well, this morning, we're going to finish chapter one, seeing and being reminded that when it comes to the journey of faith and following our Lord, the focus is not on the purity and the power of our faith. The focus is on the purity, how pure and how powerful the object of our faith is. It's our triune God, God the Father who has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. God the Son, who is our perfect Joshua, who took on flesh and has redeemed us and reconciled us to our Heavenly Father. The focus is on that promised Holy Spirit who now indwells us and enables us to, to, uh, to march into the promised land and to live for God. So we're going to pick up where we left off. We saw God's man and God's command and God's promises, and now we're going to move on to God's persistent exhortation in several of these verses. You see God exhorting Joshua three different times. In verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In fact, if you think about it, there's even a fourth exhortation where God speaks through those tribes in verse 18 and speaking back to Joshua and the leaders, only be strong and courageous, the people are saying back to. So we have this exhortation here, and it's a persistent exhortation. Now, I, I, I look at this, and I have to confess, when I, when I read through this and was thinking, what came to my mind was the water boy. Okay, the water boy. I, 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 I had to confess something. I love movies that are built around a sports theme, you know? I just started watching Ted Lasso, and I binged it because, again, I just love the programs that have to do with sports. I love movies. It can be a comedy as stupid as The Waterboy, right? Or it can be something as inspiring like Rudy or Remember the Titans. And, and, and every one of those movies, if it's good, has a, a kind of a critical scene in it. At some point, you know, the, the team is not divided. The team is facing some obstacles, some issue, and they're struggling. And so at, at some critical point, the coach or an athlete, you know, normally in the locker room, sometimes on the field, gives this inspiring speech that kind of just unifies everybody and they now march for them. You know what I'm talking about, right? It happens all the time. I mean, you think about, remember the Titans, Denzel Washington is, is portraying Herman Boone, the real life coach, goes back to, I think, the early 1960s when in, that, in their city, they integrated a, a black school and a white school, and the two football teams came together, and they were, it was like oil and water, and they were not getting along, and, and their team was just falling apart, and so there's this pivotal scene where in the morning, the, the coach, Denzel Washington, takes them for a long run, and they get wore out, and they're exhausted, and it's dark, and the sun's bare, it's misty, and it's foggy, and as he begins to talk to the team, and the sun comes up, and the mist starts burning away, and they find themselves standing in the middle of the, of the Gettysburg battlefield and the cemetery where all these tombs, and he talks to them about race and hatred and coming together as human beings created in the image. Of, and it's an inspiring scene, inspiring scene, you know? Uh, Billy Bob Thornton, and, and man, great scene in Friday Night Lights. That, that locker room scene is like, 
Everybody who's ever played sports gets it, okay? I mean, you've seen this, right? In fact, I, I, I got you a real-life example. Now, it's from a, pre, a player who comes back to his team. Great linebacker, all-pro linebacker, out of the University of Miami. Ray Lewis played for the Baltimore Ravens. And the, in 2015, the Ravens were struggling, one in six. And Ray Lewis comes in, and he takes them to David and Goliath. And he begins to talk about David and Goliath and talking about not fighting the, the fight that Saul wanted David to fight, but David had to fight his fight. And he pulls from this, and this is what he says. Get ready now. Get ready. Want to go tackle somebody right now? Right? I mean, that's so inspiring. Right? That's awesome. And I, and I give you that because, in a sense, what we are getting a glimpse of right here in these verses, I think, is God is giving his team captain a very needed locker room speech. He is coming to Joshua, the team captain. And Joshua, he needed this talk because the task before him was huge. It was complicated. It was overwhelming. You think about the obstacles that they're facing, just, just the psychological obstacle alone. Moses, my servant, is dead. The great prophet, they, they revered this. I mean, he was their spiritual father in so many ways. They had seen him do all of these miraculous events that the power of God and displayed through Moses. They were, they were where they were because God had moved through Moses. They would not have made it this far if it hadn't been for Moses. And he's now dead. What are we going to do now? Can you imagine just the psychological burden that is on the people? How do you overcome that? How do you overcome the physical obstacles of a river that's a flood stages and, and you're just not going to typically walk across that? You can't get across that kind of river in the ancient world. And then there was the very real, the most obvious, and the most important uh, obstacle. And that was the makeup of the people themselves. I mean, how do you turn a people who are essentially nomads, shepherds, and farmers who have been untested in real battle and war and turn them into... A, a group of people who can take on strong walled cities and warlike people. I mean, jo Joshua had a lot of reasons for why he needed to have this talk because he was facing real obstacles and he needed this exhortation from God. But when you pause for a moment, I just wonder how many of us need this exhortation this morning? How many of us need to hear this locker room speech from God? How many of us this morning are perhaps dismayed about the spiritual state of our, our children or a family member? How many of us this morning are afraid to share our faith and tell someone that we know who is not a Christian how they can come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? And we're afraid to go there because of what may occur. 
I wonder how many here even this morning are having anxiety because you hear me week after week talk about committing your life to Christ and you've yet to make that step because you're afraid of what it's going to cost you if you follow Jesus. I wonder how many this morning, because of the the political landscape and the events of our world, you're filled with anxiety. It's keeping you up. Or how many parents you have that child that is just stretching you to the breaking point, and you're at your wit's end, and you just don't have the answers you need on how to raise this child and to help him or her. And then the number of us this morning who are discouraged, you know, our, our employment or our lack of employment is causing stress in our lives. We need this exhortation. Now, now the easy way out In all of these types of situations, or maybe a situation that you find yourself in that I didn't allude to, the the easy way out is to listen to your fears and to your emotions. The easy way is to wallow in your discouragement and in your misery. But God's persistent exhortation to you is to not give in to these fears, to not give in to these emotions. Now understand that giving in to fear is the, uh, is, uh, excuse me, not giving in to fear is the harder way. It is the way that requires courage and strength. It takes courage to preach the good news of God's promises to your heart. And then in turn, reject the bitterness or the discouragement or the fear or the anxiety or the dismay that is filling your heart. It takes courage to preach the good news of God's promises to your heart and to believe it and then reject the counter emotions and feelings and narrative that's inside you. It takes strength that only comes from God to defeat the lies of your discouragement with the truth of God's promises. Thankfully, our God is faithful. And we don't have to gin up this courage. We don't have to self-create that strength and courage through our own grit and our own stubbornness or through our own quality of character because our parents raised us a certain way. Not at all. As we read in Paul's apostles or epistles, excuse me, he tells us that God who has begun this very good work in us is going to be faithful to complete it to the very end. God is going to do this in our lives. He has not given us the spirit of fear, he tells Timothy, but he has given us the spirit of power and of a sound mind. And to the Philippians, he tells us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our God demonstrates his faithfulness through these kinds of exhortations. He also exhibits it through his requirements. We have God's exhortation, and in verses 7 and 8, we have God's requirement. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. You know, God's covenant promises are kind of like a two-sided coin. You should think of it like a two-sided coin. 
On one side of the coin, you have God telling what he is going to do for you and through you to his glory and for the expansion of his kingdom. That's on one side of the, of the coin, the, the details of what God is going to do. On the other side is what he requires of us if we are going to experience the reality of those promises. You know, Joshua, God gave Joshua very specific promises to him and to the Israelites that they were going to enter into the land, finally, after 600 years of waiting, that, that he was going to empower them so that they could defeat the enemies who were actually stronger than them, that, that he was going to ensure that all of the tribes got their portion of the land as had been promised to them generations before, and then most importantly, as we saw last week, he promised that he would never leave them nor forsake them, and he would be with them always as their constant helper. God understands that his promises can be overwhelming. That they can be difficult to experience. And that's, this is why he exhorts Joshua, that he exhorts the congregation, that he exhorts us to not shirk from what is required to experience these promises. The, the other side of the coin. And I would suggest to you that the point that verses 7 and 8 is making is that other side of the coin. Just simply stating it, that when we trust the Lord and live by faith, his promises become our reality. On one side of the coin, we have all of these promises. Israel and Joshua had specific promises. We have all of these promises in the scripture that apply to us. That's on the one side of the coin. The flip side of that coin is the requirement. How do those promises become reality? And this is what verses 7 and 8 is getting at. And, and I would summarize verses 7 and 8 as a, an excellent description of what it means to live by faith. It's, it's interesting. When so many come to this passage, they miss this simple truth. They, they, miss, uh, they, they often abuse or misuse um, or just simply you know, overlook the richness of this passage. For example, the prosperity gospel, they abuse this passage. They focus on the very last sentence. They stress uh, how to be successful and how it means to be prosperous. And then they define success and prosperity according to materialistic guidelines and, and criteria. And then you have maybe uh, Christians who are a little more on the ultra-conservative side of the spectrum, more um, maybe they're more scrupulous, a little bit more fundamentalist in their thinking. And these believers, they don't abuse the passage, but they misuse this passage so that it ends up strengthening their legalistic bent. They focus on the, you know, the word day and night, and they, they dwell on this to such an extent that it becomes a legalistic exercise rather than a, a life-giving encounter with God. And, and then there's those, and a lot of times you know, really great, I think, really wonderful scholars and, and writers who have, have studied the book of Joshua, you know, phenomenal men and women of God. Uh, and many of them, they, they tend to just miss the point because they, they get into the words and they parse the words and they dwell on the minutia of the passage of these verses so much that they, they can't see the forest because of the trees, right? They, they begin get digging into what does it mean to meditate? 
But meditate, the Hebrew words means to mutter to oneself. So what does it mean to mutter to oneself? And down the rabbit hole you go of minutia, right? And so I think they tend to miss it. These verses, I, I really believe that these verses in a, in, a, in a genuine and clear way unpack for us, they illustrate for us what it looks like to live by faith in our faithful God. And remember, when we trust the Lord and we live by faith, his promises become our reality. Listen, if you're a Christian this morning, you've experienced this already. There's a point in your life where you, you read God's word or you heard God's word proclaimed to you and you heard and you realize that God says in our natural state that we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. Regardless of where we come from, what we look like, we all have one thing in common. We've been created in the image of God and yet we sin against God regularly. It is part of who we are. And because of this, the scriptures tell us that the wages of our sin is death death, eternal separation from God. And you heard that message and you realized your predicament that if something doesn't change, if your relationship with God isn't changed, your destiny is condemnation and judgment and eternity separated from God in hell. And you realize something important, that God has given us a promise. I loved you so much and I demonstrated that love that I gave Christ to die for you. And if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's God in the flesh, and that he has come to take on the burden of your sin and pay for it on the cross, and if you will commit your life to him as Lord, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he's alive and he's coming back one day, and you commit your life to him as Lord and Savior, you will be saved. And even more than that, I am going to give you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to move into your life. And he's going to begin to transform you from the inside out. He's going to transform you gradually from glory to glory to glory so that at the end of your journey, you will resemble your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Many of you are experiencing that promise and the fulfillment of that promise right now. Why? Through your good works, through your effort, through your strength of character? No, through faith in our Lord. You're trusting what he says. We've all experienced it. And listen, if you are here and you're still searching and seeking answers, this is where it starts. This is what it means to live a life of faith, to trust him, to live by faith. And when that happens, his, God's promises begin to become reality in your life. And after salvation, the more we come to know God in this intimate way that verses 7 and 8 describe, the more we trust him. And the more that trust in God grows, the more we believe what he says and reveals in his word. And the more we believe this, the more we want to live for him. The more we want to obey. And the more we want to live for him out of this vibrant faith, the more we see his promises becoming reality in our lives. And that is true success. That is true prosperity. A prosperous and successful life occurs as the broad scope of God's promises become our particular personal reality. 
And how does that happen? That's that flip side of the coin. Living by faith. Living by faith. The whole of Christian life is by faith. Have a whole chapter on it, right? We looked at it uh, about a year ago. Hebrews chapter 11. All about faith. Where we will find some of our characters from the book of Joshua. You know, when you, when you stop and think about it, <clears throat> these verses teach us that just as God's promises are two-sided, one is the details of the promise, and then secondly, the, the other side of the coin is that requirement to live by faith. That requirement to live by faith actually has two dimensions to it, two sides to it. One of them, of course, is believing and trusting God. And, and, and when you consider that side of the coin, you can better understand why verses 7 and 8 stress meditating on God's word. Because it is through God's word that we come to know who God is. And the more we come to know who God is through his word, the more we are changed and we understand how absolutely reasonable it is to trust him and to put our hope in him. And so it's understandable why God calls Joshua and us to meditate on his word day and night. But the other side of that faith coin is action. It's, uh, the one side is believing God. And try, but the other side of that coin, uh, true faith, is believing and then acting on that belief. And, and specifically in this passage, it's phrased as obedience to God. And that obedience to God will end up manifesting itself in a, in a variety of decisions that are pleasing to God, actions and behavior that gives glory to God, where the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow and, and work itself out in our lives. So these two sides of the coin, this is what it means to live by faith. We talk about live by faith, and so many think, oh yeah, that means believing a set of facts. No, that's just one side of the coin. The full idea is you believe it, and then you act upon it. And that action is obedience to what God says. David Jackman, in his book on Joshua, he, he does not overlook this important point in Joshua. He writes extensively about it. And I, and I want to read a little bit larger section. It's really from several pages of his book, and I've just kind of collapsed them down. I want to encourage you to take your phone out and take some pictures of this screen, because this is a great quote that can fuel some, some pondering and meditation in your own life this week. You don't have to, but I would recommend that you do. Here's what he says. He says, if we want to know God's promises in practice and experience their growing potential in our lives, we must obey God's commands. That is what the life of faith is all about. The promises of God are unconditional in terms of God's own commitment, but their enjoyment depends upon our detailed obedience. And that means faith, which shows itself in works. <clears throat> And then he refers to James chapter 2, which is that great passage that says, faith without works is what? Dead. It's not biblical faith. It's not true faith without the action component. He continues, faith responds to promise by action. I can move forward through Christ. He is the dynamic, the energy, and he will take me where he wants me to be if I trust him. Faith does not fear and give up. Faith does not underestimate the enemy and relax. Faith watches and prays, Lord, help me now. 
Give me your courage, your strength to help in this time of my need. But this is faith in Christ as he's revealed in his word, not faith in faith. And then a very, very important closing sentence that can apply to so many of them. I know there's more than one time in my life where this sentence, I needed to hear this sentence. Beware of an intellectualism that is theologically accurate and exact, but never translates into active obedience, which is costly and totally dependent upon God. This is what true faith looks like and what it looks like to live by faith. In the last half of this chapter, verses 10 to 18, is a vivid example of God's people living out both sides of that coin, believing and trusting God and then acting upon it. We've seen God's exhortation, God's requirement. Let's finish out with God's people. And when you consider God's people, you really see in this passage two different groups. There's the leaders, and then there's the congregation. And both groups, as you look at this passage, are living by faith. The leaders are living by faith. Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days. You are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now, I, I confess that in our, in our covenant group, we had a wonderful time looking at just these few verses and thinking about what they teach us as it relates to being a leader in God's church, among God's people. There's, there's many rich nuggets when you think about the details and what's in between the sentences, reading between the lines and these little verses about what it means to be a leader in God's congregation and in, among his people. But what I want us to really see this morning, more than anything else, because of the time that we have, that, that Joshua and these leaders, they don't have all of the answers to the obstacles that are before them. They don't have them. What they do have is they have God's leading that now was the time to enter into the promised land. They had that. And what they do have is God's promises that where he leads them, he is going to provide he will be with them and give them the power and provision that they need so that they have victory through his presence and through his power. And so with these things in hand, they trust God and they act. They obey, even though they don't have all the answers. They certainly don't have a detailed blueprint. Not at all. They hear from God. All right, three days, we're going. What a response of faith. And think about what all is involved in that, because you have like a million people or so that are now going to just turn and boom, go across. They don't know how they're going to get across the Jordan. They don't know how they're going to defeat these cities. They don't know how they're going to fight this warlike people. They don't have, God did not give them a crystal ball. They just had that clear guidance and they move in response to that guidance. What great leaders, church godly leaders Live by faith in God and not by explanation. Godly leaders live by faith in God and not by explanation. It's clear. The leaders are living by faith. The congregation is living by faith. 
Now, in these remaining verses, I'll give you a little bit of context what's going on here, is you have Joshua interacting with two and a half um, you know, of, of the tribes, two and a half of the 12 tribes. And this goes back several decades where you know, they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They're in one basic area on the, what we call the Transjordan, the eastern side of the Jordan River. And some of the people, you know, the tribe of Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh say, you know, we like it over here. We can make a really good life for ourselves over here. Can we just go ahead and settle right here? Can this be our inheritance? And Moses consults with God and comes back and says, yes, you guys can live over here outside of the, of the actual promised land, the technical one, but on this condition, you have to put forward your men who would normally be enlisted in the army, and they have to fight with all of the other tribes until the rest of the promised land is conquered. And they agree to this. And so in these verses, Joshua is reminding them of what their, their obligation is. And they answer him and they say, all that you've commanded us will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. You know, these people... They also had God's promises and requirements, and they too respond in faith. They believe God, and then they say, let's go. We're willing to go. And here's what you can find out. Later on, Joshua puts them at the front of the line. They're always at the front of the line. <laughs> They're coming into contact with the enemy first. They're leading the way, these two and a half tribes, but they obey God, and as a result, they too are successful and prosperous. They responded this way, again, despite lots of unknowns, tons of unknowns. And they don't gripe and complain. You mean we're having to help conquer land that we'll never see benefit from? I mean, we'll die before this is all done. But they don't complain. God didn't give them a crystal ball. God didn't give them detailed plans and answers to all of their questions. Church, godly congregations live by faith in God and not by explanation. Just as it's true for leaders, it's true for the congregation. For us to be in God's will means that more often than not, we will be living by faith in God without answers to all the questions that we may have. We just don't get it like that. God calls us to trust him. You know, one of the reasons why he does this is so many times the questions we're asking aren't even relevant to what God is going to end up doing. I have a little saying, you know, I don't even know the question. I don't even know what I don't know. <laughs> and that's the way it is in God's work. How many times do we end up somewhere totally different than where we ever dreamt, expected, or thought that it would happen like this? I mean, we're living it right now. And, and, and that's why it, the call is for faith. And faith means trusting God, believing in his promises, believing in his character, that he is good, that he is loving, that he's all powerful, that he is going to work in us to his glory, and then acting on whatever it is you know, and taking that step of faith, and then letting God direct from there. You know, in the New Testament, we have an example of a church, congregation, and leaders 
who experienced the blessings of living in this way. In the book of Revelation, the very beginning of the book, there's these seven churches that Jesus sends messages to. He's the Lord of the church, and in the letter, he has direct messages through the apostle John to these seven churches. Five of the churches get a mixed message from Jesus. Some of them get commendation and then indictment for sin that was weighing them down, that was holding them back, and that would ultimately destroy them. Some of the churches got no condemnation, and the indictment was strong. Their very existence was in doubt because of the sin that was in their church. But two of the churches, there's no indictment from Jesus. There's only commendation. There's the church at Smyrna, the poorest of the church. And he says, out of your poverty, you are, even though you're poor, you are rich in the gospel. And then he comes to the church of Philadelphia. I wish it wasn't Philadelphia because of, (laughs) but anyway, sorry, guys. (laughs) But this is a church that is clearly living by faith and our faithful God. And as a result, They were living the reality of his promise. And look what he says to them. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I read that and I thought, boy, that is true for us right now. We have this open door of opportunity. God is, I've told you before, I don't know what God is doing. I've given up trying to figure it out because all the plans that I made have gone out the window We're where I never expected us to be. But you just know we have this open door here where we're about to experience God's work in our lives and in our church in in ways that we can't begin to. I I can't wait to see where are we going to be 10 years from now because of what God is doing in our lives and in our church right now. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Could we as Covenant Church ask for a better description for our church? It's true, we don't have our power. Certainly not by human standards. Well, let me rephrase that. We don't have a lot of power by human standards. We have great power by God's standards because we have God. Amen? And may this verse come to describe us. That this open door is something that we capitalize, that we walk, that we trust God, and we walk through these open doors, even though we don't have the explanations and the details that we want. Because church, congregations that live by faith, they walk by faith, not by explanation. And they trust in their loving God. Heavenly Father, may this be true for us. I thank you. I, 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 it's, as crazy as the last few years have been, contrary to what we thought would happen and plans and everything else, I look at our church and I see us living this reality right now. And I thank you for leaders. I thank you for elders and deacons who walk by faith, not by explanation. I thank you for a congregation is walking by faith, not by explanation. 
Lord, help us to continue in this way. Lord, help us to trust you more, to know you more. And as we know you more, that trust grows so that we are motivated beyond our wildest imaginations to obey, to lay down our life as a sacrifice for you, to take up the cross and follow you, Lord Jesus. Mold us into that kind of church, these kinds of people, so that we can experience the victory of our promised land as Israel does. In your name we ask these things, Jesus. Amen.